The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Jokic again, falling away. Got it again. Back-to-back buckets by Jokic, and it's back up to 14. 27 points, 14 assists, 10 rebounds. The ninth triple-double for Nikola Jokic in these 2023 NBA playoffs. Uh, One guest on the show today will talk much more about the game last night with Chris Miles from NBA TV coming up at the end of the show. I've got a couple of thoughts on the game uh, in brief uh, coming up here uh, momentarily. The show today brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.com or MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC for a chance to secure a first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. You have to use my promo code KevinDC when you sign up. It's easy to sign up and then there will be an opportunity to use a promo code if there's something written in the promo code section. Erase it and write KevinDC. They've got all of the NFL prop Bets already for the 2023 season. All of the week one NFL lines are up. Uh, and uh, game two, Denver is a nine point favorite again um, in game two. Mybookie.ag, mybookie.com. Use my promo code Kevin DC. Uh, I want to start with something before I get to the NBA game last night and just a few thoughts. And I just want to share this with everybody because, you know, this isn't something that I'm reporting necessarily. But as it relates to the sale of the team, Tommy and I have been talking um, together, and I've mentioned this probably even without Tommy, that it's gotten to the point where it's like, come on already. You know, vet the new owners, you know, get the structure of the financing right and ratify Josh Harris and his group as the new owners of the Washington Commanders. My God, I mean, this was a dream come true for all of you uh, in in the NFL ownership circle. I mean, if somebody had told these NFL owners, thirty, the other 31 of them, you know, a year ago or even eight months ago, hey, eight months from now, Dan Snyder will have already chosen to voluntarily sell the team. And then there's going to be a buyer who's going to pay $6 billion for it. And it's a guy that's already a partial owner in the league already. And he owns two sports teams in other sports. 
if you if if we tell you that you get that, but you've got to vet him and ratify him faster than you usually do, would you do it? They would have jumped at the chance to do that. To see Dan Snyder voluntarily sell, to get rid of the biggest nightmare in the league over the last 23, 24 years, certainly in the last three to five years, I mean, they were worried that the only way he would go is if they voted him out. And I don't know that they would have ever done that. And so Josh Harris has, you know, a larger group. Um, he has some leverage because nobody else stepped up to buy this team. Tillman Fertitta did, but for, you know, basically a half a billion dollars less, roughly, uh, it, there was not overwhelming demand because there just isn't for a purchase of that size with the restrictions on ownership that the NFL has right now. So Dan voluntarily sold. You had a guy that stepped up. You had a guy that stepped up and may have overpaid which, by the way, increases everybody's home in the neighborhood. He is doing them the biggest favor. And yet, here they are lollygagging on getting him approved, ratified. So I talked to a few people um, this afternoon uh, and actually had a conversation with somebody who intimated the same thing over last weekend. The owners could get this wrapped up quickly if they wanted to get it wrapped up quickly. The owners absolutely could vet all of the limited partners. They could work with Josh Harris to get uh, and, and to get the finance committee to approve the structure, which really isn't that outlandish. They don't want leveraged buyout situations for teams. They don't. The team's going to go up in value eventually. The team's going to produce ridiculous cash flow. It's not like they're going to go broke. Um, and, And they could, if they wanted to, vote on this thing. But I've been told that one of the issues is that right now, they don't want to be inconvenienced. You know, it's June, July, and they're, you know, off to their summer homes or they're traveling the globe or they're on their boat somewhere in, you know, the south of France or on the Amalfi Coast or wherever they are, wherever they uh, spend, you know, this time of year. And, and God bless them. They've, they've, they've earned it. But this is, you know, a unique sale. Like Denver, they didn't approve the Walton and Penner Group, and it was an easier sale to, you know, accept and vet because... You know, basically they had more than enough cash, Um, but they, you know, got to August before they came back and ratified them last summer. And that's what I'm hearing with respect to this sale as well, is that it could get done now, but it's not going to get done more likely than not until the end of July or early August. One of the reasons is, is the owners have to be together to vote. Apparently they can't vote via Zoom or conference call. Seriously? I just look at this sale as different. Number one, there wasn't overwhelming demand for it. Number two, the owner that's selling, they have desperately wanted out. He's been an embarrassment to the league for years now in a market that has vastly underperformed. Like, you know, maybe let's get it done. Let's get it done faster. And oh, by the way... You know, a market that's been dying on the vine for two decades, it was one of your premier markets in the league. 
one of your premier fan bases, the, a, a fan base that was a big part of the NFL's meteoric growth in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. You know, when the NFL became unequivocally the number one beloved sport in this country, in league in this country, and Washington was a big part of it. How about inconvenience yourself a little bit and get the hell back here and get this thing ratified so that they, so that the fan base knows that it's done and, by the way, the organization can start to operate like a functional organization. Like, you know, there are things to do before the season starts. There are decisions to make that Ron Rivera has said, we got to kind of put on hold right now, Cam Curl's, you know, contract extension. What if, what if, you know, knock on wood. What if Sam Howell got hurt next week during minicamp and they were interested in Jimmy Garoppolo or even a Teddy Bridgewater who's out there? I mean, would they be able to do it? They can't even communicate with Josh Harris's group right now. Josh Harris has no ability in his group to do anything with the franchise that they're going to own once the owners get off their ass and ratify this deal. This deal's just different than recent purchases. And we've got a stadium decision to to reach, you know, in the in the coming months. And we're losing 2 months. Now, is it like in, you know, is it is it a 2 months that's going to devastate the franchise? No, but my point is it's like Josh Harris has done you guys a favor. He understands he's joining a very exclusive club, and they're appreciative of that, I'm sure. But what you're doing to them and what you're, by extension, doing to this fan base and this organization because you'd be inconvenienced to vote on it right now or vote on it by conference call or by Zoom is just ridiculous. I mean, Josh Harris and his group did you, the 31 owners of the other teams, a huge favor. Huge. There was nobody else willing to pay $6 billion, which was Dan's asking price. Now, you know, it's possible they just want, you know, Dan to wait for his money. Maybe that's it. Maybe they hate Dan so much they're like, yeah, we're going to vote on this in August. Um you're going to have to wait another two months before you get your $6 billion. By the way, what's it costing him in money not to have that $6 billion or whatever the net of it will be, $4.5 billion, $4 billion, whatever the net you know proceeds are after the sale. Imagine how much that money earns on a daily basis. So maybe they're just keeping that from Dan. But you know they're keeping our fan base and the organization from moving forward. It's time to move forward. You know, it may be inconvenient for all of these owners to get it done quickly, but they can get it done quickly. It's been months now. All right. uh, I wanted to um, give you my quick thoughts on the game last night. And then again, Chris Miles will join us and we'll go into detail in uh, a little bit more. But look, Nikola Jokic was awesome last night. You know, it's rare when a player completely controls a game without scoring, which is essentially what he did through, you know, the first two and a half quarters of the game. Um, He ended up with 12 shot attempts for the game, 12 for the game, and he scored 27 points. He was 8 of 12 from the floor. He had 10 assists at halftime uh, of the game. Um, He's such a great passer. That team is so unselfish because of his lead 
And it's a really good basketball team. Jamal Murray's a special basketball player. Uh, and, you know, he he was 11 of 22 last night. I actually thought it was better than that. Um, but if he's going to play that way and Jokic is going to play the way he played, um, it's really tough no matter how many ways Spolstra tries uh, defensively to slow Denver down. And he tried a lot last night. They played multiple zones. And by the way, I, I complained about Boston's zone offense and said, oh, my God. There are CYO coaches that could have beaten that zone, and Missoula had no prayer of beating it. Well, you saw what Denver did, right? You saw, you know, there was somebody in the middle. Lots of times it was Jokic. There was somebody on the baseline or on that in that short corner, and they shredded it. You know, they played man. They switched a lot of their man-to-man. They, they had a bad matchup early with Vincent on Gordon. I mean, you know, Aaron Gordon was the number four overall pick in the draft back in 2015, 2014, 2013, somewhere around there. I mean, he has had uh, a really good career. He's a great player. Um, You almost forget because of Murray and because of Jokic and Porter Jr., who is an outstanding player as well. Um, But they attacked, you know, that matchup. And then this was what I talked about with Tommy yesterday. I think one of the more interesting things was to see how – Miami guarded Denver. And the first part of that was transition defense, which they did a great job. They did a great job getting back defensively, but in the half court, they were shredded. Um, And I don't know what the answers are. They're not big. um, And so they're going to be taken advantage of there. Uh, You know, I was texting back and forth with a couple of my coach friends that are here locally and I mean, I, I thought, you know, maybe like some kind of box and one on Murray and and you just don't double Jokic and you get beat by Jokic on twos with, you know, bam against Jokic in the paint. You can't double Jokic. You can't, he wants to pass. You've got to force him to be a scorer, which, of course, he's proven he can do. I mean, he had a game in this postseason where he went for 53. You know, he's gone for 39, 43, 30, 32, 34, 30. I mean, he scores a lot of points. He's averaging 29.9 in the postseason going into game one last night. But you've almost got to force him to think um, and default to being a scorer because as a passer, it is it's devastating. And then offensively, look, the Heat missed a lot of shots, you know, and I think they were open shots. You know, the, the, the you know between Caleb Martin and Max Struess, I mean, it was a pitiful night shooting the basketball, and a lot of those shots were wide-open shots. Struess was 0 for 10. Martin, who was great in the Boston series, couldn't miss in the Boston series, 1 for 7. Duncan Robinson was one for six. I mean, actually, in a game in which I never really thought Miami had much of a chance, and I'm more concerned after one game, and I don't want the one game to be something that influences the way I thought yesterday, which was this will be a longer series than people think. But, man, it was convincing last night. But even with that said, like if Martin and Struess and Robinson shoot poorly, not horrifically, they're in the game. Those were all open shots. Uh, and then 
I'll end with this, and then we'll you know come back to game one and looking forward to game two Sunday night with Chris Miles uh, in the final segment of the show. Jimmy Butler's been a great player during this postseason, elite. Um, it's been playoff Jimmy from start to pretty much the last three games. Now, I think he was outstanding on Monday night in game seven. He didn't shoot it great, but he was aggressive, and he was great on both ends. But starting in game five and then in game six against Boston and then for sure last night, he's been so passive. Now, last night, he may have, if Struess and Robinson and Martin had made some shots, Butler probably would have ended up with 13 or 14 assists in the game. You know, he was trying to make plays and... You know, he wasn't like staying out of the offense altogether, which is what we kind of saw in game six for most of the night last Saturday night. But Jimmy Butler last night had his playoff low of 13 points. He had 14 shot attempts in the game last night. It's not good enough. He has to be much more aggressive as a scorer. Um, they don't win without him being an aggressive scorer. They just don't. You look at all of the games they've won in this postseason, and you look at the shot attempts. Milwaukee, 27 shot attempts. He had 35 points. They won the game. Uh, They beat Milwaukee at home. He had 19 shot attempts. He was super efficient, 30 points. Uh, His uh, 56-point performance, 28 shot attempts. 33 shot attempts in the closeout game against Milwaukee. Um, Against the Knicks, um, the shot attempts, you know, they won games with him shooting 22 shots, 21 shots, 17 and 16 shots. So he wasn't as aggressive in that series, but he really didn't have to be. You know, they won that series going away. And by the way, he averaged in that series 24.5 points per game. Then in Boston, in the first two games of that series, 12 of 25, 12 of 25, 35 points, 27 points. He's also not getting to the free throw line here recently. He did in game six, but a lot of that was down the stretch of game six. No free throw attempts. In fact, a playoff all-time low for a team, two total free throw attempts for Miami. They weren't aggressive going to the bucket, you know, in part because they had a lot of wide open jump shots and they didn't make them. Um, But uh, Jimmy Butler's got to score. And Sunday night, you know, I said this after Saturday night before Monday night's game, that he's going to have to score and he's going to have to be aggressive. And he was much more aggressive Monday night. Well, he's going to have to be aggressive, super aggressive on Sunday night. Because Jimmy Butler scoring 13 points on 14 shot attempts with no free throws, they've got no chance. I mean, they really have no chance. Now, last night, again, I would say that weirdly, he could have ended up easily with, instead of seven assists, like 14 assists. If Struess, Martin, and Robinson had knocked down some of the shots that he created for them. But they didn't. And they lost... And they lost by 11. Uh, by the way, Miami did have on that final possession a chance to cover or push. The, the line was nine. I, I ended up playing Miami plus the nine. So I lost. Not for real size. Uh, but I just took a small 
small taste on Miami plus the nine last night. And look, they were down 22 at the end of the third quarter and it looked dead. And then they came back in the fourth quarter and they finally started to make some shots. They got it um, down to, to, uh, at one point, down to nine. And I think there were still three minutes to go when it was uh, a nine point game. And then they had the ball with 20 something seconds left. And uh, Nikola Jovic. Um, off the bench because Spolstra has had subbed out all the starters. He drove the lane and essentially had a shot, knocked off him, his knee and out of bounds, but that could have been for the push there. But didn't get it. They lost by 11. All right. Um, when we come back, uh, before we get to Chris Miles, did you see the video that the commanders put out about the entire first round of the draft and what was going on leading up to number 16 overall and what we learned from that video. Uh, I want to talk about that when we come back. Uh, We will do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's a voluntary time of year. I'm grateful for the guys that are here. I think we're getting a lot of good work in, um, really establishing our culture and and um, putting in a lot of good work, you know. And and uh, I, I'm just appreciative of the guys that are here. Have you talked to Chase at all? And what can he do when he's not at the facility to help, you know, speed up that process when he does report? What, what can he do what now? What, what can he do to maybe speed up the process or help him ease back in when he gets here? Uh, just be here, you know, um, and um, when when he gets here, get to work. Jack Del Rio yesterday after he was asked if it matters that Chase Young's missed OTA days. Uh, by the way, that was the last OTA day of the week. I think it's the last OTA day overall. They've got a mandatory mini camp next week. Uh, and then I think that's it until training camp. But you don't need a translator. I hope you don't to know what Jack Del Rio thinks. I mean, he told you for all intents and purposes. Yeah, it's a voluntary time of year, but I'm grateful for the guys that are here. I think we're getting a lot of good work in, really establishing our culture and putting in a lot of good work, and I'm just appreciative of the guys that are here. And then when the follow-up question came about whether or not he's talked to Young um, you know, and, and what he can do to speed up the process when he gets back, just be here, and when he gets here, get to work. 
Uh, I mentioned yesterday that I think they floated Chase Young out there before the draft and that they just didn't get anything with their feelers that was you know worthy of even considering it. And the bottom line is not picking up the fifth-year option tells you all you need to know about where they are right now, which is their belief is that there is a better chance than not that at the end of 2023, they're not going to want him back, certainly not going to want him back at $19 million for that fifth year, 19 and change or whatever it is. So that that's... That is what they told you by not picking up the fifth-year option. If you think it's anything else, you're I think you're wrong. I mean, if they really thought there was a good chance they were going to want him back after 2023, they would have picked up the option. But the bottom line is they think there's a better chance that they're not going to want him back at the end of next year. And again, as we said at the time when they didn't pick up the option, it may not have been, it may not even be their choice. There may be a whole new staff in place that'll choose to franchise tag him or choose to try to sign him to a long-term deal. It's uh, Look, I'm still hoping that Chase Young proves everybody wrong and has a big year and lives up to the talent and doesn't hold it hostage. Um, but uh, my reaction or my suggestion to him uh, when they didn't pick up the fifth-year option was to show up for everything and prove that they made a big mistake by not picking it up. But so far, um, you know, it doesn't look like that's necessarily his mindset. But as we know, the proof's in the regular season pudding, not in OTA days. However, uh, Del Rio told you kind of what they, he, and I think a lot of people out there really think of the situation. Now, there was something that I watched early this morning, and maybe some of you have seen it. It's a 21-minute video that the team put out about the drafting of Emmanuel Forbes in the draft uh, uh, just completed last month or now, you know, end of April. Uh, and it's a really entertaining video. You know, it's edited well, and you see Ron starting his day at home and his wife wishing him good luck on the draft and Ron arriving in the building and the war room. And at the same time, you're seeing Emmanuel Forbes down in Mississippi. And and, and it, it builds up to the time in which Washington took Emmanuel Forbes with the 16th overall pick. But we learned something from that video. Washington tried to trade up two spots with New England to number 14. And they weren't able to pull it off. New England wanted a third rounder for Washington to move up two spots. They were going to send a sixth rounder back with the 14th overall pick. So they would swap by two spots. Washington would get a sixth and then the Patriots would have got, gotten Washington's third rounder, but Washington didn't want to do it for a third rounder. They were willing to do it for a fourth rounder to move up two spots. So they would have given up the fourth round selection. Uh, their fourth round selection, by the way, was Braden Daniels. They used that fourth rounder. But New England wanted their end of third round pick, the compensatory pick that they got for Brandon Sheriff, losing Brandon Sheriff, and Washington didn't want to part with a third rounder. And in fact, you see Marty Herney on this video going, nope, that, we're not moving. We're not moving. Um, by the way, at almost every turn during these conversations that Martin Mayhew is having with New England, Martin you know, finishes every conversation with, I've got to talk to Coach about it. Ron Rivera has the final say on all this stuff. 
I'm not suggesting that that's breaking news, but you really see it play out in the interactions between Mayhew and the Patriots and then Mayhew and Ron. Ron's got to sign off on it. And Marty Herney's kind of in there, you can tell, as a bit of, you know, uh, almost another very senior voice on this. So what did Washington want to do by trading up two spots to New England's spot at 14? Well, one of the things you learn is that, you know, by watching this video, Emmanuel Forbes is definitely on their very short list. They love the player. And by the way, when they picked him at 16, the celebration, Jack Del Rio, Brett Visselmeyer, all the defensive coaches, oh my God, they are through the moon over the selection of Emmanuel Forbes. They are super excited about Forbes. But would they have taken Forbes at 14? Were they trading up with New England to 14 to select Emmanuel Forbes? Ben Standing doesn't think so. His hunch is that they were interested in moving up to 14 to select Lucas Van Ness, defensive end, Iowa. Now, Lucas Van Ness got picked at 13 by the Packers. So Washington ultimately, if Van Ness... If, you know, if they'd gotten a four, you know, if New England had come back and said, we'll get, we'll do it for the fourth rounder um, instead of uh, the third, Washington wouldn't have done the deal. They would have held firm at 16 and taken Forbes there. I don't think they were trading up to 14 to take Forbes. You know, I, I kind of agree with Ben. Ben spelled it out like they were going to get Forbes at 16. They were going to get him at 14. New England, by the way, eventually traded that pick to Pittsburgh. Um, and Pittsburgh gave up, by the way, um, in that trade, uh, a, f- a fourth rounder. They actually moved up three spots and gave up a fourth rounder. So Washington would have given the fourth rounder to move up two. New England eventually took 17 overall, one worse than Washington's position, and Pittsburgh's fourth rounder. Now, Pittsburgh's fourth rounder may have been a better fourth rounder. I actually didn't check on that. But anyway, um, The bottom line is New England traded out of that position anyway. Um, But imagine if Washington had decided with Lucas Van Ness on the board, if he had been on the board at 14, if New England had said, all right, we'll take the fourth, Washington makes that trade, they take Lucas Van Ness. I'll tell you what it means. Just the fact that they may have been interested in taking Lucas Van Ness. And there is a spot in this video where, where they learn that Lucas Van Ness has been picked by Green Bay. And they say, all right, Lucas Van Ness is gone. Um, that means we'll end up with, more likely than not, the choice of two corners, Forbes and Gonzalez. But if it was Van Ness who they were thinking about at 14 in pulling off a trade, if he had fallen to 14, that tells you even more about their feeling on Chase Young. That, and by the way, if that had happened, like let's say the Packers picked Broderick Jones and then Washington pulled off the trade to move up two spots with New England and Washington takes Lucas Van Ness, defensive end Iowa, I think Chase Young wouldn't be on this roster right now. I think there's a chance that they would have just at that point dealt him, you know, for somebody's fourth rounder in the draft or whatever they could get in the midst of, of the draft. Uh, interesting. Um, I, you know, maybe it's possible that they just wanted to move up two spots to ensure that they didn't miss out on Forbes, that they thought New England might take Forbes at 14, um, or maybe that the Jets might take. I mean, the Jets weren't going to take a corner. They took Sauce Gardner last year. 
You know, so they knew the Jets weren't going to take a corner. Um, anyway, something to just think about. You know, putting these videos out, you learn some things. I think I, I love the video, um, but you know that is to me. If Ben's hunch is right, and I kind of agree with Ben, that tells you even more about the current state of how they feel about Chase Young. And by the way, I would add this. If they do feel that way about Chase Young, like like their expectations are super low, if that's true, that they are. They drafted two, you know, they drafted two defensive ends. I mean, that's kind of further proof, right? They ended up taking two defensive ends in the draft in the fifth and seventh rounds. So if they didn't get the guy they wanted, there are some edge pass rushers still available. Leonard Floyd's out there. Frank Clark is out there. Those guys are probably too expensive. But Ngakwe's out there. Ngakwe, Terp, Jacksonville, had a couple of rough years in Minnesota and Baltimore, and then the last two years, nine and a half and ten sacks. I think you could get him for one year. I don't know, eight, nine million bucks with some incentives to get him up to, you know, 10 to 12. Um, somewhere around there. I don't, I, you know, they're, they're going to create more cap space with the Norwell stuff here. Um, if they really, look, I want this defense to be dominant this year. And I think Sweat's a really good player and we know how good their interior is. You know, if they don't feel like they've got a legitimate, you know, game-changing pass rusher at the other defensive end, why not go get Ngakwe? I mean, right now, I mean, I just kind of have this hunch that if somebody offered, you know, now you're talking about next year's draft, but if they had gotten Van Ness, I don't think Chase Young would be on the team right now. I could be, I could be off on this. And Ben's hunch on Van Ness, and that's what they wanted by trading up, you know, had he been there at 14, and he wasn't there. Uh, but all of that, you know, this is, you know, tea leaf reading time of the year. But it's interesting, and that video was actually worth watching. It was well done uh, by the team. All right, uh, Chris Miles will join me. We'll get back to the NBA to finish up the show right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. 
Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, jumping on with us right now uh, from NBA TV is Chris Miles. Chris was in the market uh, here in D.C. Uh, a few years back. He does a great job covering the NBA uh, for NBA TV. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Miles TV. So uh, let's just start with last night. Describe in your words what happened last night. I mean, truly, it just feels like, you know, the, the bigger, better uh, team during the regular season is healthy and came out after having nine days off and proved their dominance. I mean, the Denver Nuggets, you know, they had the best record in the NBA last year. You got a guy who's a two-time MVP, could have been, you know, three three times in a row, and Nikola Jokic and uh, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon. I mean, they were just bigger and better essentially at every position, and it showed in game one. Yeah, it did. And, um, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, it's interesting because I want to get into the game last night and then talk about the rest of the series. But I've said this a few times, Chris, in the last couple of weeks with various people, including, you know, Legler and I were talking about it on this podcast last week. I don't know if they're getting enough credit. Maybe they won't until they win it. And I think they're going to win this series. I think they're one of the better teams that we've seen in several years. Uh, they're selfless. Um, the ball moves. All five men are involved. All five of their starters are outstanding players. I mean, have you thought about Denver in in terms of just how good they are if they're on their way to a title compared to recent champions? Yeah, um, really, I look at it as if they're healthy, they would have played in the finals before this. Yep. This is a team that went to the conference finals in 2020. Um, you know, and essentially LeBron and the, and the Lakers were, you know, they, they, it was their time uh, as opposed to the Denver Nuggets. And then, you know, uh, Michael Porter Jr., when they drafted him, he had injury concerns. He set a career high in games played this year. Um, of course, Jamal Murray, we all know Jamal, the bubble Jamal Murray jokes, right, of how great he was there. This is the first season where he's back to being that caliber player. And Nikola Jokic has emerged as an MVP right, and a perennial all-star, and all-NBA, and all that stuff. So when you look at this team, this feels like the start of something special, that this should be a championship, and, you know, we should see them and maybe, you know, Giannis and the Bucks or another team battle it out for the next five or six years. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And it's funny because, you know, at the trade deadline, remember how much activity there was and how much the West changed. And it was like, wow, Denver has had this great regular season, but now Phoenix has KD and the Lakers improved. And, um, you know, will the Warriors get healthy, et cetera? And it's been a wild postseason. Um, but the, the Nuggets ultimately were the most consistent team all year. And I think you're right. I think that's a really way, a good way to, to look at it. They just haven't – you know, been healthy and, and losing Murray obviously um, was a killer um, in, in previous postseasons. So back to last night for a moment. Um, so Denver has the long layoff. They look like the fresher team uh, to me. Um, but there's something 
about Jimmy Butler in the last three to four games? You know, really starting probably in game five, but more so game six in the Boston series. And look, I think he had a great game seven, but he was 12 of 28. But he's looked incredibly deferential, almost reluctant. Last night was really the ultimate in this stretch. I mean, he only shot 14 times. Uh, the 13 points that are the fewest for him in the postseason. You know, he was a playmaker, and if, you know, Struess or Martin could have knocked down a shot, he may have ended up with 12 or 13 assists in the game. But but are you sensing, and from your seat watching with all of the guys from NBA TV and all of the guys from TNT, what are you guys seeing with Jimmy Butler? What's going on there? There is certainly a lack of aggression, right? And to your point that you're making, um, they're one in four now in the playoffs when he scores less than um, 20 points. And so you got to think if you're Miami, all right, you got to get to that benchmark or else we don't have a shot, right? Like that's just point blank period. But when the other guys that you just mentioned, Duncan, Struess, uh, Benson, right? When they went what was it, two for 26 from the field? I think it was two for 13 from three-point range. I, I, that You're not going to win a game when um, – the guy, I'm sorry, I said Gabe Vincent, Caleb Martin. Yeah, you're talking about Martin. When a guy right. who was a – yeah, when a guy was a runner-up for the Eastern Conference Finals MVP, right, when those three guys who have been that critical to your success are getting, you know, destroyed on a defensive end on switches – and have no legs left to hit shots, like, you're not going to win. Um, even if Jimmy Butler tried to have one of those Hercules performances, um, man, I, there are just so many things wrong. But I do think, coming off a seven-game series, as in facing a team that has had nine days off, uh, these are the results you should expect to see. I know a lot of us say, like, oh, you're fresh, and you get back out there, and you play – I don't know about all that, especially when the other team, you know, Denver, this is where they've been the past couple of years, and Miami was an eighth seed. So uh, I got to take that for what it's worth. But do you I, – I agree with all that, but do you think there, there could be something wrong physically with Butler? Remember, he turned the ankle, and he missed one of those games in the Knicks series. I actually thought in game six on Saturday night, he looked sick. I mean, something was that—that that was the game where something he just wouldn't shoot, um, and I know he ended up with more shot attempts than even you would think. But even last night, the passing on open shots—does um, anybody think that maybe he's not physically right? I mean, that could be the case, but I feel like that happens. Like you know, a team loses, and whether it's Joel and be like, "Oh, look, I got to pass somebody in now," like. That typically happens. I also think that let's say that is the case, or let's say it's not the case. When I watch him when the game is over and before the game, there is this very relaxed, nonchalant way about him that I, I don't feel like that's a guy that's injured, right? Like he could be. No, you're and right. I would never uh, say, oh, yeah. But he has come across confident, a healthy. Like, I'm playing cards before the game. I'm drinking wine and beer. We're good. Like, that to me is really more his attitude, right? Like, I just feel like at times he turns it on. Like, truly think about the game two performance against Boston where they were down and it wasn't until Grant Williams headbutted him that he decided to turn it on. Yeah. He was being passive that game as well. So, I just think he's a guy that feeds off emotion. Um, and when you see him turn it all the way up, you think that's how it is all the time, but go look at his numbers. I mean, what we're seeing right now is 
typical Jimmy Butler and what we see those top tier performances, that actually is the outlier. Yeah, that's playoff Jimmy. Um, and the other Jimmy is a good player, but not a great player. Um, so Denver is, I think I think Denver's an interesting team um, in part because they've got a guy that's a two-time MVP, and yet you know this, you know, unless you're an NBA fan like you are and like I am, um, if you're the casual sports fan or the casual NBA fan, you may be watching him for the first time. So when you, you know, have to describe Nikola Jokic to somebody in your life that is a casual NBA fan, uh, do you push them to watch him as much as I do? And if so, what do you say? Well, first of all, um, you know, I played point guard, right? And that's how I see the game. So for me, Nikola Jokic is, is how I would tell someone to play basketball. Right, so if you can dominate a game and only take five shots, you're way more dangerous than a guy that shoots every time because you've made your teammates better. And whenever I had a Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic conversation with people, I'm like, they're not in the same class. I get that Joel Embiid is actually a better defender, um, but Nikola Jokic brings everyone around him to a higher level. And what I mean by that is, remember what Aaron Gordon was before he was playing with Nikola Jokic, right? Yeah. Um, it, I really do feel like, okay, you give Nikola Jokic Tobias Harris, Tobias Harris is going to look like a completely different player because he knows when he cuts, he's going to get the ball. He knows if he moves, he's going to be open, he's going to get the ball. And you see that effort on both ends of the floor. I mean, Michael Porter Jr., my God, this is a guy that refused to play defense, is now blocking shots and but, you know, slamming home putback dunks and being an effort player. That's because he's being rewarded for those efforts. And that all starts with Nikola Jokic. I mean, Jamal Murray with Tennessee. This is a guy that didn't pass before, right? Like, now he's a guy that can get you a double-double with the assist. So I, I just think that a lot of credit goes to the Joker and what he brings to the table. And for me, so much fun to watch. But say, if you really want to understand basketball, that's the guy to watch. Yeah, um, couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, everybody on that team because of him is unselfish. It's it's uh, It's been a pleasure to watch them throughout. All right. So last night, you know, one of the issues was, I mean, Spolstra played multiple zones. He switched uh, in man. He tried different matchups. Nothing worked um, defensively. And I think, you know, uh, it, it's something I talked about yesterday here on the show is that that was going to be the most interesting thing to watch is how were they going to guard Denver? First of all, by the way, and I, I, I said this in the open uh, of the show, I actually thought they did a phenomenal job in transition defense. You know, it was something the Lakers did not do. Um, they got back. You know, the, the, the Nuggets didn't really shred them with, with, their, with their pace or their fast break. But in the half court, it was a rough night. What, what changes? between now and Sunday night? I think, uh, man, if, if anything can change for the Heat, they have to, to dirty up the game a bit, hmm. right? Like, one of the things that was missing, if you really pay attention to that game, that felt like a Denver Nuggets game. It didn't feel like a Miami Heat game, right? Like, I pointed to the Grant Williams incident against Boston, like the barking at each other. Oh, yeah, this is what we're doing now. Like, it just felt as if the Nuggets were running this passing clinic and shooting 60% from the field in the first half, up by 17, whereas the Miami Heat were kind of like, should we start playing hard now? 
should we foul them on this lamp? Like, what should we do here? It was a tentative nature to everything about them. And I think if they're going to have any shot in this series, which I don't think they have a shot in this series, they're going to have to be the dogs to bring this, to bring this fight to Yeah, that's interesting because I, I was thinking, you know, is this one of these things where they've got to completely change everything? Like they've got to, you said, dirty it up. I, I, I was thinking at one point, you know, they got to muck this up somehow. And by the way, that may also be on offense where, you know, they, you know, they let Bam, you know, attack, you know, in transition, um, in secondary transition. The, the Everybody had a green light last night to shoot threes even early in the shot clock. Um, shots that they had made in the Boston series. They didn't make them last night. And by the way, if Struess and Martin make shots last night, like if they just shoot poorly instead of, you know, horrifically, they actually may have had a shot. They, they would have been in the game more. But maybe the pace has to slow even more, muck it up, play a lot of, you know, a lot of different defenses, which they did last night. Um, but, uh, you know, I always feel this way, Chris, like when you watch a series and you watch one game, that it's really um, – we're, it's wrong to come to any sort of definitive conclusion after one game. But after last well, night, I did feel like Denver just yeah. is too good. The one thing I will say that Miami can figure out to at least get a win in this series, right, get hot, and that's when, you know, the open shots are not the same as they were in the Boston series, right? So in Boston, when they would have an open shot, it was pass, pass, in rhythm, catch, shoot. You understand? In Denver, it's almost like this herky-jerky, like, who's open? Oh, we're swinging. He's open. And, like, there's a perfect shot. Duncan Robinson was open at the top of the key. And he, like, dribbled twice and shifted his leg. He was so uncomfortable. Yeah, I know the, I, I know the, the one you're talking was about. out of rhythm. Yeah. And it's because the offense was out of rhythm. And that is a result of the defense forcing the offense to be out of rhythm, it can't be overstated, right? And so, yes, it's an open shot, but it's not the same open shot. It's not catching in rhythm, uh, running your play, and just taking a shot you're familiar with. It's like, oh, I'm open. So much pressure to hit this because we're shooting bricks. You see, complete different ballgame. Yeah, but I, but I do agree with the part where you said they were open because they missed a lot of open shots, but I completely understand um, what you're saying, you know, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the catching in, in a rhythm with feet set off of a pass as you're spotting up two passes away, you know, expecting it is different from, you know, Jimmy driving baseline and then coming back the other way and throwing it to Martin, who's running into the corner because nobody's there. Um, we're talking to Chris Miles from NBA TV. So, I'm assuming, based on some of the things that you said, that you really liked Denver before the series. Did you think it would be a short series before it started? And if you didn't, do you think it will be now? Yeah, I mean, put it this way. I, I made the joke, so I'm covering the, the finals in every game that's in Miami. And my joke was, man, I would love to make two trips to Miami. <laughs> I guess I'm just making one, right? Like... That's how I feel about it. I'm like, all right, game four, maybe a game five. I'd be surprised if there is one. Definitively not going to be a game six. That's just how I see it. And I said that before the series. And halfway through game one, I was like, I didn't want to be right about this. I, you know, I, I wanted this to be a longer and better series. I just don't think it will be. 
Yeah, I thought it would be before it started, which was definitely more of the you know contrarian minority opinion that I, I thought we had a chance to see a really long series. Last night um, was deflating, but you know it could have been because they played Game Seven Monday night. They're traveling to Denver. Denver. They're getting acclimated. And by the way, if Tyler Hero's back next Wednesday when they get to Miami, that could be a difference for the Heat. I mean, it depends on his readiness and his health. Um, but, you know, he would have been a difference throughout this postseason, not that they you know, necessarily needed him get to, to get to the finals, but it would have been nice to have Tyler Hero throughout. Well, i tell you this much. Um, coming back from a broken hand as a guy that's supposed to handle the ball and shoot, I'm, I, I feel like that's one of those things that it's going to take him a week or two, right? And they need it immediately. So, can he have an impact? Sure. Will he have an impact enough to win the series? I highly doubt it. What's the best part about working in those studios with NBA TV and TNT? You get to hang out with Barkley and Shaq and Kenny and all those guys? Yeah, uh, and actually I'll have NBA Finals coverage for Miami with Kenny Smith. So we'll have him on shows uh, for the pregame and postgame for games three and four. But the best part is actually two things. Uh, well, it's probably 10 things, but the I'll put it at the top of the list is, you know, a lot of times when they're filming, in, when Inside the NBA is on, I come off the set from my show, because uh, we have our free game before there, and in in commercial breaks, the jokes are 15 times better than the jokes <laughs> they make air, right? Yeah. So, like, it's still, we could still hear the, the air check on a black screen, so it's like a black screen and it's Chuck. Jack, Ernie, and Kenny, and typically like, you know, one or two visitors. Those visitors can range from like Marky Mark to uh, Chris Tucker, right? Like on any given day, you don't know Michael B. Jordan, they'll just be in there, and they'll just be clouding whoever it is, stuff they would never say on air and that I would never repeat. And I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Like, I wish someone else could experience this. This is its own TV show that we'll never see, right? Um, so I think that's, I would say, a top part of it. Another part is, you know, watching the games, and just like being anywhere else at work, I mean, you know, if you're at 1067 The Fan or, you know, D-Nye or whatever, and you see um, D-Mitch and he tells you something from like a, a game and then you can just have a conversation. I mean, it, it happens organically here. Like Shaq, uh, I remember in the first round of the playoffs, he's watching the Nikola Jokic and he's getting up mocking, not in a bad way, but like just copying Nikola Jokic. Like, you see that seal? That was the best pick in the game. Watch this. And he's like, Chris. Look at this. And he's pointing out all these things. And I'm like, man, Shaq is more animated and excited and exuberant and breaking it down now than I've ever seen him on the show. I get to experience that. You know, like that's a really great thing to see. And to see him have his moment on the show with Nikola Jokic, it's, it's just priceless. I mean, I couldn't quantify that. Yeah, no, I can imagine that that's so much, uh, so much fun. Um, all right, last one, and I'll let you run. Tell me what you think, if you have an opinion, about what the Wizards have done with their hires here over the last week. They hired uh, Michael Winger from the Clippers, and then yesterday they hired former Hawks president of basketball ops, Travis Schlenk, to be the senior VP of player personnel. They still haven't hired their GM. They're going to hire a GM as well. Um, if you don't have a strong opinion about it one way or the other, that's fine. But I was just curious since you've, you know, p- paid attention to this team over the years, if you had an opinion about it. 
Well, here's the deal, right? And with front office people, you can run the gamut because I'll say this. I've, I've spoken to people who Travis Schlenk didn't hire on coaching staffs that are like, yeah, this guy didn't hire me for this reason. Like, and that's all they say about him. So it's not really negative. Um, but at the same token, I go look at his track record of drafting and it is certainly a lot better than the Wizards track record of drafting, right? Like, um, you go down a list, he, he gets credit for, be, you know, being wrapped for Draymond Green, uh, the Trey Young move, which is obviously a win for the Hawks, uh, in the sense of like getting an extra draft pick and, you know, having the success of going to Eastern Conference Finals and being competitive again. John Collins drafted him. Uh, Nyeka Kong, like a lot of guys who have really hit that weren't necessarily guys that you were sure were going to hit. So I, I do like, um, a whole train, a change of train of thought for the Wizards as well. It was time and it feels like, um, you know, having some new faces around there who have had success in other places like the Clippers and the Warriors and the Hawks. Um, I think it's, it's just, you can't, it has to be better than what it is right now, right? Like you have 10 teams in the Eastern Conference that make it into the play-in and you're not one of those 10 teams. That's absurd. You should be one of those teams every single year. Um, so especially if you have a, a guy who makes, you know, top five money in the league in Bradley Field. So I'm interested in to see what happens in the next two to three years, more so than I've been in a while for the Wizards. I mean, do you agree with me that the first thing they have to do is try to move Bradley Beal in that contract? Well, no. I've always, so here's the thing. Anyone that knows me knows, including Brad. I'm sure he's heard this by now. I bang on me like, all right, if this team's going to improve, who are you, right? Like, you got to move Bradley Beal. But now the return on Bradley Beal is not what it was. So you lost it, Wizards. You lost the time period to capitalize on it. And what I'm saying is, if you traded Bradley Beal when he was making less money than Otto Porter and was leading the league in scoring, right, 2020 and 2019 and that time period, you could have convinced a team looking to compete for a championship to give you a future all-star in like eight draft picks, i.e. Shea Gilgis-Alexander and the Thunder for Paul George, right? Like you could have pulled something else, pulled something off like that. Instead, you kind of held, you didn't do anything in the postseason, and now teams look at that contract and they're like, all right, we'll give you Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson, <laughs> and two late first-round picks. Right. Those uh, are the kinds of things you're going to get in return. I, I, so it's like, is that what you're trying to do? Well, I totally agree with you. I mean, I sort of advocated this for this, you know, much before now. I mean, they they missed their opportunity to truly bring back a haul. But that, to me, that doesn't mean you continue to compound the mistake. For four, for the next four years to pay him 50-plus million dollars a year when he's a really good player but he's not an elite player, you're then pretty much set up to try to win 40, 41, 42 games a year and make the play-in. I'd rather, you know, I'd, I'd rather start over and take swings in the draft and try to land, you know, a true future top five to top, you know, 10 player that gives you a really good chance. The funny thing, Chris, is 
I, Bradley Beal a, a, is a great guy. He's a great ambassador for a franchise that right now might be dead last in this market in terms of popula- uh, popularity. I mean, they're irrelevant in this market right now. And it's a shame because you know what kind of basketball town this is. If they were ever legitimately good, I think it's the number two in town, personally. Um, and But he's been a great guy. He's, he's a very high-level scorer. But now we're getting into a point where he's just not even available you know, a lot of the time. And you're never going to contend for an actual deep run in late May and June if he's your highest paid player and your best player. I concur with that assessment. And look, you can look at the San Antonio Spurs and what they just did and got Wimbenyama, right? I'm not saying you're going to get the next Victor Wimbenyama. Just saying uh, in order to put yourself in position to at least do that. Now, what's really interesting is the draft in two years from now is going to be uh, absolutely loaded, right? Like most teams in, in front offices kind of look at that like you might be able to get two franchise players if you have two top ten picks. You understand? Like that's the way they're looking at that draft. That that's one of those drafts that if it plays out the way that people think it it will. Uh, I'm not uh, pa- I'm not paying attention to it. So, so people that are listening aren't paying attention either. Most people aren't. So who are the players? Yeah. Uh, Carlos Boozer's son is one. Uh, there's a kid in the NBA Academy that's uh, I've called two of his games. Uh, he's seven two. Uh, 250 pounds and shoots threes, right? This is the 2025 uh, draft you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, Cooper Flagg, who some people think will be really good. I think I kind of have him more than Gordon Haywood. And uh, this kid, I'm trying to get his name right. He's a guard out of Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could see his game. He plays with Team Adidas. But, man, I mean, you're talking uh, – some say mm-hmm. could be as good as Kobe Bryant. I watched him with Jamal Crawford, and Jamal Crawford said yes. I think he's Darren Peterson. Uh, I'm hearing, like, you know, coaches rave about him the way they rave about Zion and John Morant talent-wise. Okay? So here you have a class where um, I didn't even touch on, like, one or two other guys that I haven't seen myself that people are saying are better than these kids, right? Um, And so to put in perspective, Carlos Boozer's son, Cam Boozer, was a sophomore and he was named National Player of the Year. Not for his class, but for, like, he was a sophomore named National Player of the Year, right? Um, 6'10", shoots a three, plays above the rim, all of those things. So my point that I'm making is, if you're the Wizards going to your point, yeah, man, uh, this is the time to do it. You go ahead and you move Brad, you're bad for a year or two, you develop guys, and when that draft comes, um, you should have two top five picks in that draft, right, depending on the moves you made. And that does seem like a good plan. Like, I could get behind a bad season or two uh, to get the draft capital to make that the move that you're doing going forward. Because I think those kids are that special. By the way, I I pulled it up. It's actually the 2026 draft, so it's actually three years from now, the players' names that you were mentioning. Um, Which means by the time you get them and they mature and you're a contender – uh, you know, they're going to be, I, I hope I'm around for it. Um, but we're talking in the 2030s at that point. Uh, but I would love to see it. Uh, anyway, look, I, I always enjoy our conversations. Keep up the good work. I've been watching a lot of the NBA TV stuff during the playoffs. It's been great. Um, hope you're well. Talk to you soon. 
Yeah, I mean, let's say it this way. When was the last time we were excited about the Wizards in the playoffs? 2017. Yeah, so, <laughs> I know, I know. Well, that plan may seem far-fetched. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's better than what we've been seeing for six years. It's it's true. And, you know, I, I, I th- those few years where they were winning series, you know, they actually were winning first-round series, and they were close, as you know, um, you know, the year they lost to Atlanta in the in the conference semifinals. Yeah, I mean, John, John got you know, John rip. got hurt, and yeah. they could have been in the Eastern Conference Finals. And look, if John doesn't have you know a dreadful Game Seven, by the way, that was one of Beal's best games. Beal in that Boston series, games six and seven. Wall had the game winner, you know, and jumped on the table and said, "This is my town." In Game Six, but it was Beal who was incredible in both of those games, uh, and they almost got to an Eastern Conference Finals then. But even then, they weren't going to advance to the finals, more likely than not, with um, LeBron in the way. Um, All right. Thanks, as always. Talk to you soon. (laughs) (laughs) Great talking to you. All right. That's it for the show today. Back on Monday.